So when you hear the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the first verse. This is how it starts out. It says, the words of the preacher is probably what your translation says. It might say something else. That, the word, that word that's translated preacher is the Hebrew word koalith, which if you take the Greek translation of that Hebrew word, the Greek translation is Ecclesiastes. All right, so that's where, if you ever wonder where the title of the book comes from, it's the Greek word uh, for basically preacher. Uh, so that's where the title comes from. Um, here's what, uh, here's your kind of, I hope this is big enough. All right, here's the three things that I'm going to give you about three or four minutes to discuss with somebody around you, okay? It's these three things. Uh, all right, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, okay? Those are what is known as the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Some people throw Psalms in there. Some people throw Song of Solomon. But those three are the core wisdom books of the, of the Old Testament, okay? So if you're familiar with those books, and it's okay if you're not, seriously, I'm so glad you're here. But if, if you have any familiarity with you, I want you to discuss with people around you as you think about those books, what is it about those books that are distinct if you've read them or heard them, okay? Secondly, discuss this question. Have you ever read or heard a teaching series on Ecclesiastes? It's okay if you haven't. And if you had, what do you remember and why might you encourage somebody to read it or listen to it, okay? And the last one that I need you to discuss, we're going to come back to this because this, this statement will help you understand how to read Ecclesiastes, the teacher says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, okay? I want you to discuss with somebody next to you, why in the world might he say it's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting? What about a house of mourning would be better than a house of feasting? I hate that verse. I would much rather go to a party than a funeral. But the teacher is saying there actually something that's better about going to a house of sadness than a house of joy. So, with people around you. If you don't know that person, you can introduce yourself. Take about two or three minutes, discuss a few of these questions, and see what you come up with, all right? I don't have any background music, so I'm sorry. All right, you can start wrapping it up. If you need to keep discussing, you can, but here, uh, anybody want to share at least the first one? Anybody, uh, Anything came up with that's unique about Job and Ecclesiastes and Proverbs? Um, and it is okay if you're wrong. That's okay. Uh, yeah, Dr. Craig said it's very little narrative if you read those books. Uh, Job has a little bit, but if you read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, it is, it is not historical narrative. Actually, we're going to talk about this. In many ways, what's unique about these books is they still they kind of step out of the redemptive storyline of the Bible. Of course, they have something to do with it. But it is not focusing on the saving acts of God for his people and all creation. Now, of course, that it's involved in that story, but that is not, that is not its kind of um, uh, close focus. Um, good. Yeah, so there, it's not narrative. Anything else? God is mentioned, uh, but not much. Uh, and then he definitely is mentioned, but here, what you're saying is interesting about, the, about a lot of the wisdom books is God kind of recedes to the background. Of course, we know he's active and he's present, but the focus is almost um, an earthy, earthy human perspective as, as they look in this world, uh, which means God is, uh, is kind of in the background. So 
Good. Yes? Yes, that is great. Uh, the tone is really reflective. Uh, she, said, she said the tone is uh, corrective and what else did you say? And self-examination, which is spot on. The tone is really, I want you to think about yourself and I want you to think about how you're living in this real world, this real world that you inhabit that is broken and confusing and I want this world as you live in it to cause you to reflect on your life and actually to reflect on who God is and how he's at work in this world. Yeah, it is, we're going to see this in Ecclesiastes, it is intensely reflective uh, about really what's confusing in this world uh, and even about our own frailty and uh, mortality as humans. Um, That's great. Uh, it really, it, yeah, if you're reading the, these wisdom books and it's not causing you to really reflect, you're, you're kind of missing it. Wisdom books are trying to make you slow down. That's great. See, it's great. Anything else? Yes. See. Yeah, uh, yes. I, I don't know Joel Osteen personally. Uh, I've, I don't think he preaches on Ecclesiastes very much um, because we're going to talk about that. Ecclesiastes actually says... Um, you can do everything right, and your life might be a disaster, um, which is not, uh, doesn't fit into prosperity gospel. Um, so, yes, that's correct. Uh, I was not expecting that answer, but that's spot on. So, uh, okay, what about, um, have you ever read it or heard teaching on it? And if so, what do you remember, or why might you encourage somebody to read it? Anybody come up with anything? Does that mean no one's, no one's heard anything like that? Yes, Ron. I did, I, I did have, when I was a child, our preacher on Sunday night did a series on Ecclesiastes, and I think he was gone a year later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, I might be applying for jobs in the fall of 2024, so uh, have a marketing, I have a marketing degree uh, from Ole Miss. So, yeah, so, all right, thank you, I think, thank you, Ron, thank you. Uh, yeah, Salon. <laughs> okay, yeah, Lynn said uh, he thinks he remembers it's written by Solomon, and we'll talk about that. There's, there are different views. Uh, I think the best way it is, it is Solomon-inspired, where that means he actually wrote it, but a lot of the wisdom of Solomon comes through here, and maybe it came through other people, but... Um, yeah, traditionally people have said Solomon. Now some people say maybe some others, but it is Solomonic or something that they say in its tone. Good, 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 good. Anything else? Yes, Miss Jen. Hmm. Uh, Miss Jenny said she remembers feeling uh, helpless, and that is actually, that's actually, you've read it right if, if, um, if there's a feeling of despair that follows you sometimes. Uh, now, I don't think Ecclesiastes wants you to end in despair, but it does want to take you there uh, so that you, um, basically so that you have to deal with real life and how life in this world really, really works. Uh, and there are notes of despair in that. Now, it never wants you to end there because it's, in the end it's going to say, um, uh, trusting the Lord, and of course we know on this side, in Christ, you will find hope and you will find purpose, but there's still a mystery to that. 
uh, that might not be worked out uh, in this life. So, good. That's awesome. We're gonna, I, I'm going to try to do that every time, not only so that you get to know each other, but uh, I'll learn from y'all, uh, such as I'll be fired in a year. So, uh, that's great. Uh, I'm going to come back to this third one because we're, we're going to get to it. So, um, okay, this is just going to be our intro. Um, and some of this stuff will keep being repeated as we, as we walk through Ecclesiastes. But when we think of Ecclesiastes as wisdom literature, somebody said it. It's an interesting genre, okay, because it's not, somebody said, right, it's not narrative, where if you think about like Judges or Genesis or Acts or, or the book of Acts in the New Testament, which are walking through real acts in history of how the Lord worked through those to save his people and one day redeem the whole world, right? That's kind of historical narrative. Then you also have pr- prophetic literature, which is a big portion of the Old Testament. Uh, the women on Wednesdays are studying some of, some of these prophets. And those are, those are basically people who are representing God they're ambassadors. I remember Anna saying this on Monday. So they're essentially saying, thus saith the Lord, and are speaking God's words towards people in the, in the historical narrative, showing them where they fall short, showing them their history, calling them to repentance, calling them to the fact that God is still at work and still loves them, turn to him, okay? Uh, and then the epistles in the New Testament, right? Uh, their letters to churches, kind of unpacking the work of Jesus. Um, but wisdom literature is Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. Even, and some people throw the Song of Solomon in there. Um, and if, if, if people categorize a New Testament book as wisdom, it's James. That's what people usually point to. Um, it has a goal. And its goal is to answer the question, how should I live in this world? Like, what does it look like to skillfully navigate a very complex, not black and white, not simple formulaic world? How do I do that? So um, I'm going to read you this quote from Zach Eswine that I thought was funny about our unfamiliarity with uh, wisdom literature. Here's what he says. It might be too small. but He says, many Christians have grown up traveling the prophetic roads of the Old Testament and the Pauline highways in the New Testament. Wisdom highways are less traveled. The Song of Solomon is like a back road brothel to us. Job is like a long stretch of desert road with no nightlight and no gas stations or rest stops for miles. So people can get stuck out there with no help, so we rarely travel there without a great deal of preparation. James is like an old law building that doesn't seem to fit the gospel landscape. We drive around it and wonder if we should bulldoze it. Ecclesiastes sounds like a crazed man downtown. He smells like he hasn't bathed. He looks like it too, and as we pass by, he won't stop glaring at us and beckoning us to us that our lives are built on illusions and that we're all going to die. So most of us choose to get our lunch at a different shop on a less dreary corner of town. I think that is a great description of what Ecclesiastes feels like sometimes. So he says this, uh, In short, most who have grown up in the Christian community have very little acquaintance with the neighborhoods of wisdom. The wisdom books are like those neighbors at which we smile, but with whom we rarely converse because they live on the other side of the tracks. Um, because it just, it just gets in the nitty-gritty and wants you to think. The, the, the common denominator of these books is what does it mean to be human? <laughs> and how do I live as a limited, finite, broken human in this uh, good world that God created but is riddled, riddled by the fall and, and has death and all these kind of things. And so the constant kind of refrain of, of whether it's Proverbs, Job, or Ecclesiastes 
is it is saying, what, what should my expectations be regarding life in this world, regarding work, family, relationships, death, all those things that every human deals with, the, kind of the, the whole of hu- human experience, what, are, what should my expectations be towards those things and how do I live well amidst that? And kind of what should be my expectations towards God if I'm walking this path of wisdom? So what that means is wisdom is not that you're the smartest person in the room, all right? You, it's, it's actually seeing the world according to reality. It's seeing the world how God sees it and then having the ability to navigate it well. And what Ecclesiastes makes you, forces you to realize is that navigating the world well doesn't mean always a good and successful life as we might, we might, we might call it. Um, because there's complexities to it. There's complexities to friendship. There's complexities to suffering and family and joy and sorrow. And so you can have a PhD, you can have two PhDs, and according to the Bible, actually not be wise and be a fool, okay? And you could have little to no education. Actually, I'll go and say this. Probably some of the wisest people in the world are by our, our standards uneducated. They live in other parts of the globe. But as they've walked through the the complexities of suffering and family, and they have become wise, even though they might not could, you know, get a master's in something. Because they've learned how to skillfully navigate the world. So, um, Ecclesiastes, as wisdom literature, it... It's God's word. You're going to hear me say that again and again. But it, and this is what um, some of y'all were saying. It actually comes to us through human experience, through questions that real humans struggle with, and through principles. Now it is God's word, but it doesn't come to us like like again what Anna and them are studying on Wednesdays. The prophets are saying things like, "Thus saith the Lord," and they speak what God has revealed to them. This is God's word, but it is coming to us as a divine wisdom that has been accumulated over the years, over the generations, through God's people. But it is his word. Uh, but it's, through, it's accumulated through experience and generations and passed on to us. So think about this, all right? Here we go. This, I realize this is Proverbs, not Ecclesiastes, but this is a good example. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Okay, so most likely, right, that was not a thus saith the Lord. It's not like God said, hey, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes passing dog by the ears. Okay, it's not like the writer heard the Lord speak that like a prophet does sometimes, okay? But it is God's word, but it's come to us through experience and generations and kind of figuring this out as God led them. So turn over this. Like, what does this mean? What do you think he's telling you? That whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog uh, by his ears. Because this is how wisdom literature, it wants you to think about the metaphor and the phrase and be like, what is he talking about? Any guesses? Yes, stay in your own lane is how we would put it. That's great. (laughs) Uh, someone today would be like, hey, stay in your lane. Yeah, like it's not, you know, again, this audible voice of God saying, hey, do not get involved in a conflict that isn't yours, right? But it is saying through all this experience, and God could have said that, I guess, 
But he's saying in this area of wisdom, because if you think about conflict, it's not black and white. It is not this like, hey, do these five things and conflict will work out. It's usually very, this is where you need to go see like Denise Bishop or somebody like that that will navigate the complexities because it's not a formula. And so God's word comes to us through human experience and says, well, look, you know, when, uh, I'm just making, when Lucy and Alice are arguing outside about their dog barking at night and you live two doors down, should you or should you not enter into that? And how should you? And all of a sudden you realize that's really complex. And Proverbs says, well, if you enter into that, you know what that's like? It's like if you run your uh, hand over, uh, over a dog's ears who didn't want you to. You end up getting bitten and hurt a lot. Now, that doesn't tell you exactly what to do, but you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's how life works. And somehow that comes into my tool, tool belt to start making me wise as I'm around conflict. And, then you, and that might just mean stay in your lane right? Um, and so wisdom literature, it wants you to actually wrestle with it and think about it and let it churn over you uh, because it's giving you a sophisticated account of human experience and saying, do you live in that reality? And so, and so the way that Ecclesiastes and the other, I'm going to start focusing on Ecclesiastes, it asks a lot of questions and it makes a lot of reflective statements, but it does not always give you an answer nor does it always give you this like, oh, here's the answer. It lets things hang. Such as, I mean, just in chapter one, it says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It doesn't, it doesn't answer it in the next verse. It just kind of moves on to the next thing. It makes you say, well, what does man gain toiling all the time? Or is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It just asks that question so that you'll sit with it. Is there really anything that you encounter that you're like, man, this is really new? Uh, or the one that I made you to uh, kind of talk about, and I'd love to hear what you said, he'll, he'll, it, he'll just make the statement, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. And you have to sit with that, and you're like, what? Okay, why? What, what did y'all come up with? Why might it be better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting? What, what did y'all, anybody come up with anything? Okay. We go. Anna said it makes you think about James, another wisdom book that talks about how suffering builds something in you. It builds character. And you start realizing that the people who mourn with you are the people who you want to feast with you. Those are your close friends. Good. Good. That's a great. Anything else? There you go. Errol said, our culture uh, doesn't want us to think about our mortality. And so a, a house of mourning makes us think about what actually is true and real, uh, that death is real. And we avoid thinking about that all the time. Uh, and so he must be saying there's a wisdom that comes from remembering that death is coming. Uh, I, think told, I think I've told you this before. I remember uh, one of my kind of mentors telling me, hey, your job as a campus minister is to remind college students that they're going to die one day. And that's a sobering thing, um, but true. Because when I was 18 or 22, I never thought about I might die one day. So, good. Yeah, and you start realizing, you can, you can kind of, that question can go in your head again and again, and it can be like, I don't know, is it because 
death is real? Is it because sorrow? I found out more friendships. Is it because uh, sometimes laughter is silly? I don't know. There's all the, but you start turning it over and you start becoming wise. Um, and here, I think he does actually answer his question a little bit. He says, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Still not this firm answer, but it's saying like, here's why, because sorrow is pointing you to the end of mankind, which is death, and you've got to start thinking about that. So what is like, think about the purpose of someone asking questions and not always giving you the answer. Why might somebody do that? Because they're wanting you to wrestle with it yourself, for you to think about it, for really for you to become wise. I, my old, um, a guy named Bebo Elkin, who uh, actually, I don't see her in here. Emily McGee is her dad. Uh, when I was in seminary, I sat on his couch every Monday and just asked questions. And I'm so thankful to him. But this is what he'd do. I'd be like, hey, because uh, I was doing campus ministry at Millsaps. I'd be like, hey, there's a guy who, um, uh, he wants to go through a rush. His parents don't want him to. What should I tell him? And, and Bebo would frustrate me because he would never tell me the answer. He'd be like, well, what do you think? What role do his parents have as, as, since he's 18? And he just kept asking me questions, and it made me so mad. Because I was just like, Bebo, just tell me what to do. And he wouldn't do it. And some, do what? <laughs> I'm not, okay. But, and it seemed so inefficient. I was like, I just sat here for an hour trying to get an answer to this question, and Bebo just kept asking me more and more questions. But what I started realizing now is he was trying to make me wise. He was trying to make me think through the complexities. And you know this is true if you're a parent, that when you're, you know, when you have a three-year-old, you have all these rules, like don't touch a light socket, you know, don't, don't touch these things. But the hope is as they grow up, and they're becoming their own man or woman, as they're becoming wise, there are less black and white rules. Like if you're having to tell your 20-year-old not to touch the uh, light socket, that's not good, <laughs> right? So the, the hope is that like it, it, he or she is becoming into the complexity of the world and learning to navigate them, that themselves. That's what, that's what these wisdom books are trying to do. That's what Ecclesiastes is doing. By kind of asking questions, not always giving you the answers. And so it feels like, and it's not just feels, it is. It's this older teacher, could be Solomon, it's, it's at least of his kind of lane, that is reflecting on things, and it kind of meanders sometimes. Again, I think about, like, I'd sit on Bebo's couch, and, and one, I remember one time we, wanted to, we were going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, so it would be like we're talking about the sovereignty of God, right? And I'd ask him, I'd be like, so if God is in control of all things, how is he not the author of evil, Right? And then Bebo would somehow meander off into this story about this guy he knew in the 80s who was depressed and, and, and what, what life with God looked like as he was depressed. And he'd talk about that, and then we'd talk about other things. And then at the end, he'd give this like nugget. He'd say, well, we want to minister to people in their ordinary lives. We don't act like big events are the only place that God works. And it was awesome. And I didn't know how we got there. Because we meandered around. I started with this question, and he kind of reflected on all this stuff, and then we came back to this other nugget that actually I remembered, but he still didn't answer my question about the problem of evil, but it was awesome, right? And that's sometimes how Ecclesiastes will feel. Uh, this, this teacher, here's a quote from J.I. Packer, um, 
Whether this means that Solomon himself was the preacher or that the preacher put his sermon into Solomon's mouth as a didactic device, it should not concern us. The sermon is certainly, I do not know how to pronounce it, Solomonic, in, in, the, in the sense that it teaches lessons which Solomon had unique opportunities to learn. So we'll talk about this next week. This guy's talking from experience about having tons of money and tons of wisdom and all these kind of things, and Solomon certainly fits, fits that. <laughs> Solomon would look at all of us who think, I will finally be satisfied if I have enough money, and Solomon would be like, I had more money than you, I promise. And I'm telling you, it was vanity. Uh, and so he's speaking from experience. And here's, um, I'll start to kind of bring us to a close here. This is an, an intro, might be our last thing. But this wisdom literature, it's got to be paired with Job and Proverbs together if you're going to see Ecclesiastes right. Oh, I should say, because of all the meandering nature, sorry. That's why the way that I, at least I'm going to walk through Ecclesiastes, this is probably helpful Proverbs you're going to teach her, is you kind of got to systematize it into themes because they're always running back and through all the same themes because he's like this teacher. And so at least teaching-wise, we're going to walk through themes. That's the way we're going to do it. We're not just going to do Ecclesiastes 1, 2, 3, 4. We're going to pick out the big themes. Anyway, so you've got to pair it with Proverbs and Job if you're going to get the, the more full, sophisticated human experience because here's what I mean. Proverbs takes the way things ordinarily work in this world, but not always, okay? I think this is why we love Proverbs, because Proverbs is kind of clean, okay? Proverbs it says, if you follow these wisdom principles, life is going to work out for you. So it kind of like when Moses in Deuteronomy says, if you obey God and you follow his word, you will be blessed. You'll have abundance in the land, right? If you disobey God, if you reject him, you will be ruined and, destruct and, and have destruction. That is true. It's absolutely true in the grand scale of things. And Proverbs is saying, actually, that truth kind of works its way out in, in human life, but Ecclesiastes is going to say, not always, not in the here and now. So, example, okay? Right, this happy family, disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. That's Proverbs. Look, if you will follow the way of righteousness, if you will devote your uh, life to, you know, to work and shunning, you know, deceit and, uh, and going about it with integrity and loving your family, like, you are going to be rewarded with good. And we like that. That seems like I could control it. <laughs> it almost feels like a formula. And of course, Proverbs is God's word. It's saying ordinarily, that's how things work, okay? But if all you read is Proverbs, then you think, okay, if I just do these things, then my life will work out. But then Ecclesiastes, this is my drawing of the Ecclesiastes man, right? <laughs> I imagine Ecclesiastes man going, actually, in my vain life, I've seen everything. And there's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. And he's like, actually, I'll tell you what I've watched. I've watched someone who's doing the right thing. And he died at a young age. And his life was, seemed like a disaster. And I watched somebody who lied, cheated, and manipulated, and his life seemed to end old, old happy, and successful. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> I thought Proverbs said this. And again, if we're going to look at the complexity of the human experience, you have to let Ecclesiastes say, hey, I'm telling you, life isn't always black and white. It's not always clean. There are complexities that are going to confuse you. 
And unless you see those, unless you acknowledge those, uh, not just you're going to feel the despair, which I think Ecclesiastes wants to feel a little bit, you'll actually live there and you'll not know what to do with it. And so, uh, is this my next? Yeah, here we go. I'm going to start bringing it to an end. Zach has one again. If Proverbs is like math, mostly dealing with equations in which one thing adds up to equal to another, then Ecclesiastes is like music, all moved with melody and tone. If Proverbs is like meteorology, giving us indicators so as to predict certain outcomes, Ecclesiastes is like the actual weather, fickle and unpredictable in its ability to rant with storms or breathe easy with mid-morning breeze. Proverbs says good man plus God's love and wisdom equals good life, and Ecclesiastes says good man plus God's love still dies like a beast or the fool. That's kind of a good way uh, to do it. And then Job, right, when you add in Job, Job shows you someone who has come through Proverbs and the complexities of life, and on the other side of it, it's as an old man is still holding on to the faithfulness of God and has this deep trust in the Lord and saying he's still good. If you think about Job, all of Job's friends are taking Proverbs as promises. That's what they're doing. They're saying, hey, your life is a disaster. You must have sinned. And sometimes that's true. A lot of times that's true. But it's not always true. And they're called fools because they take Proverbs as God's promises when life is much more complex. Um, and so you need them all. And Ecclesiastes is one of those, one of those, one of those pieces. Um, so uh, I think I'm going to end there. Uh, I'll end with this. This is my last statement. So what Ecclesiastes does, and this is what we'll spend the whole time talking about, um, Ecclesiastes really does want your joy. I know that sounds funny after everything we've talked about, but it really does. It's just your joy is going to be found in, something, in, in a different way than you thought because we think our joy is found if I can be in control, if I can know everything that's coming, and manage everything perfectly. But Ecclesiastes is actually going to say this. If you will realize that you're frail, that you lack control, and that you're mortal, you actually can have real joy in the ordinary life. Because that means that you'll start seeing that all of life is actually a gift, not simply a matter of I've done X, Y, and Z, therefore, therefore this, is, this is the solution, or th this, is the, uh, this is what comes out of it. And the thing that always meets everything and frustrates everything is the march of time. These are the big things. Death and seeming chance. Those things are always a reality and always mess up, mess up what seems to be a straightforward life. And if you will embrace those things, that those things are real, and you realize you cannot control them, then you can actually begin to enjoy God in the ordinary, which is why he'll say things like, eat, drink, and be happy. That is not a thing of despair. He's actually telling you if you, will, if you will walk in wisdom, you will find that the ordinary things of family and work and food can actually be a joyful thing because they're gifts from the Lord. And we know that because when Jesus came, when God the Son took on flesh, he is the righteous one. He did everything right, but look at his life. It is utterly complex. <laughs> He's poor, he suffers. Uh, and yet, he's living the good life. He's living the wise life. So I can look at Jesus and realize the ordinary matters. And there's a complexity to life. There's a darkness. But through the darkness, I will find that God is trustworthy. So that's where we're going to walk in Ecclesiastes. So 